So we were on a we were on a trip recently, and uh, I can't remember. It might have been when we were going up to Lake Tahoe earlier in August, but we were we were, it was a long drive as a family. And my youngest daughter, June, she's eight years old, and um, she asked, you know, like kids always ask, you know, like how how long, you know, like when are we going to get there? You know, that was her question. I don't know what it is about kids. Like you just can't be like, well, we'll get there at 2.30, so just look at your watch or look at the clock and just... If it's not 2.30, we're not there yet, you know? So she doesn't take that, but she was like, okay, you know, how much longer, you know? And then she said this thing. She just said, okay, cool, I'm going to, she didn't say, okay, cool. She just said, okay, I'm going to try to fall asleep so that it goes by faster, you know? And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, well, technically, that's not what's going to happen. You know, I'm going to drive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go the whole way. It's going to feel faster to you. But I understood what she was saying. You know, when I was a kid, we lived up here as a family. But our extended family, they were all in Southern California. So we'd go down there a lot. And I remember being on the 101 and those big green signs. You know, this was like before the GPS era, you know, where my parents could say like, well, we're on track to get there at 716 tonight, you know, like, so we'd drive and I'd see these big green signs, like, and you'd see, you know, San Luis Obispo, you know, this far and Santa Barbara and then Los Angeles, you know, 300 miles or whatever, you know, and I would always like, I'd sit back there in our Volkswagen bus and I'd do like the calculations in my mind, like, well, we're but, you know, we're pulling a good 45 miles an hour in this thing, you know, so <laughs> how long is it going to take? But the same strategy, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, you wake up, it's like all this time just passed by, you know, the trip goes more quickly in that sense, or in that way. And, you know, here we've been studying the book of Romans, and it's been a while, so I'll remind you, those first three chapters, Paul painted a picture of humanity where it looks as if mankind is so ridiculously far from God. The journey is really far, really long. He says in chapter 1 that the immoral world has been given up by God to their appetites. It's just in them so thick, it's just dominated them, it's overcome them. They think that things that are wrong are right and things that are right are wrong. And it's just in the fabric of their thinking. And then he says in Romans 2 that the moral world with morals and some upright kind of ways of thinking is also far from God. And that the religious world is also far from God. So his way of describing it, a phrase, maybe a two-word phrase that would be used to describe the condition of the world is that we are under sin. We're just under sin where we get the idea or the concept of depravity. We're, we're just, we're so far from God. And so Paul, you know, makes that clear in those first three chapters. But also, we're so close to God. That's the power, that's, the, that's the, one of the magnificent things about the gospel. We're so far, but it's like we're a quick sleep away from God. We're just a snap of the fingers away from God. Paul saw this in his own life. You might remember, he was a man that if you looked at him before he came to Christ as a Christian, you would say, this man 
is incredibly far from God. He has named himself as an enemy of the church. He has, has decided to throw Christians into prison and to persecute the body of Christ. But on the road to Damascus, a bright light shone. He was knocked to the ground. A voice said, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. And Paul believed and, and became a born-again Christian man. He was so far away, but he was so close. That word of faith was right there in his mouth and in his heart when it was time for him to express his faith and his belief in God and in the gospel message. And Paul here in Romans 11 is going to build that kind of case. And I, I really want to encourage you today as we go through this, especially if you've been in Christ for a long time, because you know how it goes. When you first start walking with the Lord and you first give your life to him, there's like a zeal that's attached to that a lot of times you're so thankful for your forgiveness the gospel is like pouring out of your heart out of your mouth a lot but as time goes on there can grow uh, maybe a lukewarmness comes in or a like leaving of our first love like the church in Ephesus experienced where maybe the gospel isn't as easily coming out of our mouths and I just want you to consider the truths that are here like I am because I think it has great bearing on just the way that we view the people of this world okay all right so I read the first four verses already. Some of you probably were saying to yourself, didn't we study this last week? Didn't we look at this last week? Because it sounds, the beginning of chapter 10, really similar to the beginning of Romans chapter 9. At the beginning of Romans 9, Paul said, man, I love my brethren. I, I, I love the people of Israel. He was a Benjamite, an Israelite. I mean, he'd been, you know, uh, perhaps even part of the Sanhedrin. I mean, he was a a rabbi, a Jew through and through. And so he said at the beginning of Romans 9, he says, I could wish myself accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brethren according to the flesh. Like I love the people of Israel so much, I'd trade my salvation for their salvation, Paul was saying. It's heavy. To think about loving people like that. And Paul reiterates that love, says it in a different kind of way here at the beginning of Romans 10, when he says there, my heart's desire, verse 1, and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That's what I want so bad. I want them to know the Lord. I want them to be saved. If you're here today and somebody brought you here today, they invited you, they've been inviting you, you got to know that it might just be because they love you so much. They love you so much. They, they, they wanted you to be here so badly to hear this kind of message so badly, be, and it's because of love. It's because of love. And that's how Paul felt about the, Roman, or about the people of Israel. I want them to be saved. Now, verse 2 to 4, he reminds us of something he said at the end of Romans 9. He says, you know, they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. All right, so here's what Paul is going to do in this chapter. He's basically set us up right there and he said, look, there's two ways that people go about things. They either pursue righteousness or you could put in the word acceptance of God. They, They want to pursue the righteousness, the acceptance of God by keeping a law, by keeping a standard, or they're going to pursue a righteousness of God, not by keeping a law, but by faith. And what Paul says there in verse four is, 
when Christ comes into your life, that ends attempting to gain God's righteousness by keeping a law. Faith puts an end to all of that. But he says there kind of at the beginning, Israel, what they had was a zeal for God, but it was an uninformed zeal for God. Some people describe them as a people who were, uh, had like a, a, they were an intoxication with God. And so he's saying they might have that, a zeal for God, but it's misinformed. They're trying to approve themselves in God's sight by keeping the law of God, and that is not possible. Okay, so here's what he does in verse 5. He's going to illustrate two kind of people communicating. He's going to illustrate the, the uh, righteousness by works communicating, and then righteousness based on faith also communicating. So maybe to help you guys, because I, I'm kind of, I want to help you, okay? So, so let, me, let, me, let me just kind of have you imagine it like this. Imagine two people on the platform right here, standing in front of you, both with a message telling you how to get righteousness, Okay, the righteousness by the law is going to communicate to us first in verse 5. And then the righteousness that is by faith is going to communicate to us in verse 6, 7, and 8. Okay, they're both going to have an opportunity to preach their message. All right, so the righteousness by the law, he's first. So let's see what Paul says about him in verse 5. He says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. All right, this is the first of a lot of quotations from the Old Testament that Paul is going to give us here in Romans chapter 10. And this quote comes from Leviticus chapter 18. All right, so what's happened in Leviticus 18 is that Moses has gone to the mountaintop. The people of Israel have come out of Egypt. Moses goes to the mountaintop and he gets laws from God. He gets the Ten Commandments, but he gets more than the Ten Commandments. He gets the ceremonial law, the Levitical law, how they're to have a tabernacle and a priesthood, all that kind of stuff. And Moses lays it all out for them. At the end of Exodus, he gives it to them once, and then he gives them the Levitical priesthood in the book of Leviticus. And near the end of that book, he says to them this phrase, the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now here's the deal. When Moses said that originally, there was a specific order in his mind. And the order was simple. God loved you. God saw you. You were there in Egypt. And he heard your cry. And he delivered you. He shed the blood of that Passover lamb. And that Passover delivered you. You came out through the Red Sea. You belong to him. You are his people. That is step number one. You're his. Now here's all these laws. Here's this word. Here's what's to govern us. That is step two. So when Moses kind of gave that statement and said, the one who does the commandments lives by them, it was like good news. It was like a cool, we belong to God, and now we have his word, and when we live by it, there's life that's there. How many of you have discovered that? You've discovered what it's like to live by your own standard, and it's not life, and then you've discovered what it's like to just submit to God's word, and you're like, man, God was actually, he knew what he was talking about when he said to live like this. Like, there's joy and gladness and peace and all that that's there, but, but that comes when the order is right. When Israel began to drift from that moment, 
they began to switch the order around. And they began to say to themselves, the reason that we have God's acceptance is because first we've obeyed Him. And if we obey Him, if we keep His law, then He will love us. And so the same thing that Moses said, do the commandments and you'll live by them, that statement with the right order in mind is good news, but that statement with the wrong order in mind is basically a death penalty. Because there is no way for a person to take the law of God and execute it, live it out perfectly in their lives. They'll fall from that perfect and righteous standard. And so, Paul is saying, listen to the message of righteousness by the law. Listen to that message. He is saying, you want to do this? Then you're going to live and die by this. All right, that's the basic message of verse 5. All right, so we've kind of heard that message. We're like, I don't, if, if he's up here giving that message and he's like, so who's in? Hopefully at this point we're all like, I'm not in. <laughs> Count me out. That's, that doesn't seem, if I'm, if I'm just going to die as a result of that, then no thanks. All right, so let's hear what door number two is all about. Let's hear about the righteousness based on faith. He says in verse six, but the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. All right, so like we read that, and uh, maybe you're thinking, I don't know what that means. I have not recently been saying to myself, who will ascend into heaven? And who will go down into hell, into the abyss? Who's going to go get Jesus? Who's going to go down and find Jesus? You're like probably thinking, I don't, that, what is, how's that the word of faith? What does that mean? All right, Paul here is quoting also from the Old Testament. He'd quoted Moses in Leviticus 18, but here he's quoting uh, Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now, in Leviticus, that's like near the beginning, right after they came out of the promised land. But Deuteronomy is at the end of their wandering in the wilderness. Forty years later, they're about to go into the promised land. And Moses knows, I'm not going with you. I can't go in. God told me I can't go in. Joshua is going to be the one to take you into the promised land. So, but Moses, before they go in, and before he goes up to the mountaintop to die, he gives them a message. He teaches them. And in his message, he tells them, he says, look, you guys are going to go into the promised land and you will be tempted. God has spoken to you. He's given you his word. He's given you his law. We got it in Exodus. We got it in, Le- in Leviticus. We got it in Numbers. And now here in Deuteronomy, I've given it to you like one last time before we go in, there's the law of God. Do it, keep it. And what he says to them is, when you get in there, there's going to be a feeling in your heart like how can we really obey? Come on, that's too hard. That's too difficult. And what he tells them back in Deuteronomy is is he says, it's right there. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. Don't say it's too hard. 
Don't say you got to ascend. Don't say you got to descend. It's right there with you. In fact, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, he just bottom lines it at one point where he says, it's not too hard for you. You can do it. That's not even my paraphrase. That's just what he says. It's not too hard for you. You can do it. All right, so that's kind of his like statement. Like, There's God's word. It's there. It's not too hard for you. You can do it. All right, so we know the story, though. They went in. And they didn't do it. Even though it wasn't too hard, they didn't do it. So what's Paul doing? Why is he quoting Moses right there like that? It seems to me that what Paul is doing is he's replacing the concept that Moses was using, where Moses is saying, obedience to God's word. It's right there. You can do it. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. He replaces that concept with the word of faith. He says, faith is right there. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. It's not a hard message. It's not a difficult thing. It's not impossible for you. You don't have to ascend anywhere. You don't have to descend anywhere. It just needs to come out of you. Notice what he says at the end of verse 8. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. All right? I've heard some people talk about the word of faith like it's some kind of like uh, magic thing that can open up possibilities and doors you know like you just got to have faith the word of faith means that you can have this or you can have that in your life that's not what paul's talking about he says the he's talking about the word of faith in the gospel message simple belief notice where he says it is he says it is right there in your mouth and in your heart you know what this means this means that the possibility of regeneration, justification, salvation, the possibility that anyone on earth would receive the gospel message, that possibility is real. It's far, because we read Romans 1 through 3, but it's near. It is distant, but it is close. And Paul is announcing it is right there in the mouth and in the heart of human beings. And it might seem to us at times like someone is so far from receiving the message of the gospel, but we have no clue. What he's saying here is that it is a near message. It is an accessible message. It is not an exclusive message. It is not a mystical message. It is knowable. And Paul had lived this in his life. I was cruising along. I was blind as a bat. I could not see. And I was convinced that this gospel that Christians was, were preaching was an absolute lie from the devil himself. But a moment occurred in my life where I saw clearly. And that word of faith was right there in that moment. I didn't need to climb up to get it or go down to get it. It was right there in my heart and I spoke it with my mouth. Man, if this is true, if this is true, If this is really true, what would that do to you in the way that you believe, behave, think about, pray for the people in your life? If you really believe that the word of faith was that close for them, because you know how it goes. In our hearts, it's like, it's it's so far away. Come on. They're never going to. That's not what the Bible teaches. He's saying right here, yeah, there's a farness, but there's a nearness as well. All right, let's go on and see how Paul 
fleshes this out? How does he apply this into our own lives? So we've heard the message from the righteousness by the law and now righteousness by faith. And here's how he kind of doubles down on this concept. In verse 9, he says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be uh, put to shame. So Paul here, notice in verse 9, you have a cool little moment where Paul gives a summary of the gospel. He says, Jesus is Lord, and God raised him from the dead. All right, so there it is. You just kind of remember that. Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. That's the gospel in summary. And Paul here, what he's saying is, it's that word of faith, it's right there. And if you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. You'll be saved, he repeats in verse 10, and you will not be put to shame, uh, verse 11. Here's what Paul's doing right here. I try, to, I try to even find a, a somebody, somebody scholarly, who thought what Paul is trying to say here is he's trying to give some kind of like rigid formula for how salvation works. It's there's something in the heart and then there's something with the mouth. Like first it begins in the heart and then eventually you say something and then like once you say it, then that's when it's like nobody thinks that. <laughs> Pretty universally, people who studied the scriptures say that's not what he's highlighting he's not highlighting some technical you know like step one is step two is what he's highlighting is the word of faith is right there near you it's so accessible all you have to do is just believe in your heart speak it with your mouth the reason he's repeating this concept is because it's hard for us to believe it the works righteousness law righteousness preaches and we're like that must be true that must be true. If I'm just good enough, God will accept me. That must be true. And Paul is saying that is not true. This is the truth. And I've got to reiterate this for you. The word of faith right there in your heart, confessed with your mouth, if that occurs, then salvation comes into your life. This is the radical results of a simple faith. It's like his way of saying this is scary simple. For there is no, verse 12, distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Keep in mind what Paul's communicating when he says this. He's trying to communicate, we come to God, we receive the gospel in the same way. We believe in the heart, we call with the mouth. We respond the same way. It's by faith. He's, not, he's saying there's not two ways, the law way and the belief way. He's saying there's one way. That's what he means that when he says in verse 12, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. He's not saying when you come to Christ, you lose your Gentileness or your Jewness. He's not saying that you lose that. Just like when you come to Christ, if you're female, you're still female. And when you come to Christ, if you're male, you're still male. Those distinctions are there, yet what he's saying here. In other places, he'll say, yet we're one in Christ, but that's not what he's even saying here. Here he's saying, there's one way that we all come to Christ. It's by faith. That's it. Just one way, by faith. All right, so he's making a case here and saying, 
that's how radical this is. That's how simple this is. The gospel is accessible to everyone. That word of faith that's right there in the heart and in the mouth is accessible. All right, so how would Paul then apply that? If it's there, if it's right there, if it's, if it's, if it's in the heart, if it's in the mouth, then how would Paul apply this? What would this mean to him? Well, let's read it together in verse 14. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. Paul gets super logical at this point. You know, you might be wanting him to, you know, get real esoteric and mystical or something, but he just gets really practical. He's like, okay, so let's say that the word of faith is right there. It's in a person's heart. It's like, it's like right there. Well, he says really simply, then if what they have to do is call on the Lord, then how can they call on him who they've not believed? So before they can call, there has to be belief. And then he backs it up before that. He says, how can they believe in someone in this message? How can they believe this if they've never heard it? You're like, Paul, this is just way too logical right now. He's like, they have to hear it to then believe it and then call on the Lord with it. Then he backs it up even further and he says, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? So he's like, hearing is necessary. That means speaking must also be necessary. Someone that must actually preach the gospel message. And then he backs it up one more level because it all begins with God. And he says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? God sends people who preach to people who need to hear who then believe, who then call on the Lord. It's so simple, it's so logical, it's so plain right in front of us. This is Paul's response to the idea that the word of faith is right there in a person's heart, ready for them to speak and to believe in the Lord. Now this is cool. I hope that you're seeing, even as we go through this, in the book of Romans, I hope that you're seeing this tension. You know, last week, you might have left here after listening to Romans 9 and reading Romans 9, where you're seeing things from God's vantage point. You're seeing God and his purpose of election, at times hardening a person. You're seeing all of that, and maybe you left last week and you're like, oh, okay, sweet. So God just kind of does his thing. He's got people he's calling, so I'll just chill. I'll just chill. And then you get here to Romans 10, and you're like, nope, wrong application. That's not what I'm to do. God is looking to send so that people can preach, so that people can hear, then believe, then call upon the Lord in response to this gospel message. Hmm. I wonder... I just wonder, I wonder this about myself. I wonder if I would take this more seriously if I believed the first part of this chapter more fully. 
you know, because like you just think about it in your own life. You think about people like, and you're probably thinking about people that you think, no, I, they are far. They are far. But if I believed this, would the gospel message come out of my mouth more often? Would I be sent by the Lord? Paul, of course, knew what it was like to be sent by God. He'd responded to it. At the beginning of his Christian life, God spoke to his heart and told him, you're going to bear witness of me before kings, before the nation of Israel, before Gentiles, before all who are in authority. That's what you're going to be doing with your life. And he said yes to that call of God upon his life. Jesus said in the Gospels, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Some of you here today, you need to stop reading the news and stop reading about our world with the grid in your mind that the harvest is not plentiful. You read it and you just think, it can't be. God looks upon the world and he says, no, the harvest is plentiful, yet the laborers for that harvest are few. Jesus said, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. What would you do if you just knew, if you had a guarantee from heaven that someone you were about to share the gospel with was going to respond in the affirmative? What would you do? What would you do? You would probably be filled with a boldness, an assurance, a confidence in that moment. And of course, Paul never had that kind of assurance. He experienced people rejecting that gospel message, but he knew that he had been sent. And so he opened his mouth and he spoke it. It says in Proverbs 25, verse 25, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Jesus has the most beautiful feet of all because he brought the message, he is the message. And now we, as extensions of Jesus, the body of Christ, we are to preach the message that he has given to us. And just so that you're reminded, notice the end of verse 15. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. This is really good news that we have. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. This is good news that we are preaching. Some might want to talk about Christianity like it's bad news, but this is good news. There is a holy and righteous God who did not just create everything, wind it up, and let it go. We're not deists. We don't believe that. He's a God who is looking into the souls of mankind. And he, the Bible teaches, is not willing that any should perish, but that all would have everlasting life. This is the God that we love and that we know and that we serve. This is incredibly good news that we get to proclaim to the world that we live in. Here's the note that I have in my notes that I'm teaching from today. I wrote this down about the good news. I just wrote it simply. I said, that's exactly what it is, homeboy. Don't forget that. So very technically in my notes, I don't know who that's for, but there it is. You can't forget that because you're going to live in this world that when you preach the gospel at times, obviously there will be pushback and you'll be made to feel as if you are preaching bad news, but you're not. You're preaching the glorious, beautiful message of the gospel. And by the way, this is what you want to communicate. If you're trying to convert someone to your moral system, good luck. What we want is to preach the message of the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
All right, now Paul says in verse 16, though, he says, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed our report? Or who has believed, sorry, I'm quoting New King James Version, I think. Lord, who has, deli- who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing uh, through the word of Christ. Have you ever thought about Isaiah, by the way? <laughs> Just that guy. He had a tough ministry. He's, the Lord's like, I'm going to send you. He's like, I'll do it. I'll go. And then Isaiah's like, how long do you want me to do this? I'll do it. I'll speak for you. How long? And the Lord's like, until everything is burnt up and everybody rejects you and it's just all just death. He's <laughs> like, wow, thanks, Lord. So Isaiah had a tough go. He had a tough ministry. He said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? But Paul just condenses it in verse 17 to real simple. You know, we, I told you the whole process, you know, a sender, a preacher, a hearer, a belief. But he condenses it, verse 17. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Again, that's what people need to receive and need to hear, the word of Christ, the word of the gospel. Christ must be preached and proclaimed. That's where faith can actually have an opportunity uh, because you've got to confront the gospel in order for faith to actually be activated in a person's heart. All right, so in verse 18, Paul really gets back mostly to Israel here. And he says, But I ask, have they not heard? Have they not heard? You know, that's a good question because, you know, if Paul's building this case to say, hey, faith comes when someone hears. And after someone preaches to them who's been sent, when that happens, that's when faith comes. And faith is so close in someone's heart, it's in their heart, in their mouth. It's right there. Well, then the question is, did Israel not, did they never hear? Because if they didn't express faith in God, if they, if they didn't have a, if they didn't listen to the righteousness by faith, but they listened to the righteousness by law message, then did they never hear the righteousness by faith message. And uh, Paul says, no, indeed, verse 18, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. There, like I said, Paul's quoting from the Old Testament a lot here. And here he quotes from Psalm 19. And this is interesting because Psalm 19 is about general revelation. You're like, what's, maybe you're like, what's general revelation all about? General revelation is that thing when you go out at nighttime and it's clear and you look into the sky and you see the stars and you feel small. That's a little bit of general revelation. General revelation is God speaking to all of humanity through what he made. So like we have the seasons throughout the world. We have the seasons. I mean, in Monterey, they're weak, but we have them. You know, it's like, it's summer, it's 62, and then it's winter, it's 51 or 4 or 6. You know, there's a big difference. And we're all waiting for like our real summer to come and stuff like that. So, you know, but we have them. And we're thankful to God for His faithfulness. That's what's supposed to come up from in the heart of man, for seeing the seasons, the faithfulness of God. The rains come, we plant, our crops grow. We can count on them. 
We're not wondering, is summer going to come? Is winter going to come? By and large, you know, we just understand it's going to happen. It's the faithfulness of God. These are things in general revelation. You see the specificity of the human body, the way we're designed. You see all of it, and you're to come to the conclusion there must be a creator God who is interested in the minutia of what we're about because look at the complexity that exists. This could be no accident. That's general revelation. And the idea of, revel- of general revelation is it's everywhere. Without a prophet, a messenger, a Bible, you have that. So that's the idea of general revelation, and that's what uh, Psalm 19 is about. Paul quotes from Psalm, Psalm 19 to say that Israel has heard. It's like what he's doing is he's taking the concept of the pervasiveness of general revelation. It's everywhere. And I think he's looking at his life, his ministry, the church at that time, and he's saying, and now also the gospel is everywhere. And if it's not, it needs to be everywhere, just like general revelation is everywhere, the gospel needs to be everywhere. Special revelation has to go everywhere that general revelation has gone. Man, that should fire us up a little bit. Like That's how far this gospel message needs to go. As the sun rises, so we also must let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, as Jesus had said. So if, the, if Israel had heard, you know, if they'd heard, then he asks another question, verse 19, as we wrap this up today. He says, but I ask, did Israel not understand? Okay, so if they heard, then maybe they just didn't get it. And Paul says, no, they got it. First, he quotes from Moses. He says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask of me. Now we're going to study this concept in chapter 11. And the concept that Paul is holding out is, The church, in part, exists to provoke Israel to jealousy so that Israel will eventually receive her Messiah. And so Paul is quoting from Moses and Isaiah to prove that point. But notice what he says of Israel in verse 21. But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands, to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long, he says of Israel, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Recently, I was talking to God about uh, interaction with someone in my life and just kind of probably complaining a little bit. The thing that I was feeling was, Lord, it feels like I'm trying really hard, trying to, trying to get in there, trying to make a difference, and it feels like this isn't being reciprocated. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of giving on my end, and it feels like a lot of taking on their end, and you know, it's kind of like, a Lord, like, what's up with that? 
you know, kind of prayer. And almost as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I felt like the Spirit just put in my mind, welcome to the club, Holdridge. Like, <laughs> and what I remembered was, oh yeah, that's the way I am with you. All day long, your arms are open wide, all day long, all day long, all day long. I never have a moment where it's like, oh Lord, I need you now. I'm going to pray. And he's like, well, you know, maybe I'm busy. (laughs) It's never like that. It's never like that. It's just always been open arms. He's wanting. And here, for the people of Israel, he's saying, all day long I held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. It says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, that it is God who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He's holding out his arms. He's saying to them, come. But they were disobedient, we read earlier, to the gospel message. They received the message of righteousness by the law when they needed to hear the message of righteousness by faith. So I think just for us, as you kind of just think about this this week, this concept of Romans 10, I just would ask you to be thinking about people that you know, that you interact with. I understand a lot of times it's tricky. You're looking for that opportunity to share maybe your testimony or what the Lord's done in your life to share that gospel message. You're looking for that appropriate space to be able to do so, you know, things like that. But in that process, as you are doing that, Think about what Paul's saying here about the possibility of the word of faith being near in a person's heart and mouth and that what they really need is to hear. So what they really need is someone to preach. So what they really need is someone to be sent. So if we had that perspective maybe a little bit more each day, Lord, who are you sending me to? I think we might see that faith activated in people's hearts Uh, more often. So just something to think about during this next week.